podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning service to you each and every week. We're currently in our sermon series, Next. The best is yet to come. For the past 20 years of Rolling Hills, we have seen God do more than we could ever imagine. Countless lives have been impacted for eternity. Many have professed their faith through baptism. Adults and children have grown in their faith through discipleship. Campuses have been launched in communities all throughout Middle Tennessee. And the vulnerable and the least have been served throughout the world. God has shown up time and time again, and now we faithfully look ahead to what is next for His church, knowing that it's not about us and our future, but about God and His perfect plan. Our prayer is that this will be a season that we look back on and see as one where God grew and stretched His people in ways He never has before. We're believing we will see restored relationships, miracles happen right before our eyes, radical salvations, and prodigals returning home. We believe for all of this and more. In this series, we're walking through the book of Nehemiah and how God's call on His people in that day is one He still has for us in 2023. May He find us faithful as we step forward, trusting that the best truly is yet to come. So listen in as we jump into what the Lord has for us today. For the past 20 years, we've had a front row seat to God doing more than we could ever imagine. Lives impacted for all eternity. Public professions of faith through baptism. Kids and adults discipled in the ways of Jesus. Campuses expanded to reach the multitudes, serving the least, the last, and the lost. And now our sights are set on something bigger and bolder, something immeasurably more. Let us join God in what He is doing next. Uh, well, good morning, good morning, Rolling Hills Church family. It's so great to be together today. Welcome right here to Franklin Campus. Welcome to our line campus. What a joy to worship our great God and be in his presence in his house today. And welcome back to our series. We're in this great series called Next. And I love this series. I just love the feedback because God's challenging all of us, right, to take a, a next step in our spiritual journey with him. And some of those are big steps, right, that God's stirring in our hearts. And maybe it's a step of salvation, right, of putting our full trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe it's a step of baptism. Maybe it's a step of joining the church or serving, whatever it is. Or maybe it's a little step, right, just a little step of saying, I want to read God's word. I want to grow in God's word. I want to take captive every thought that comes in my mind. I want to be a person of character. I want to be a person of integrity. I want to live that out. All these little steps begin to add up. And then for us as a church, God's called us to take a big step, right? For 20 years, God has been working in his church. And from 15 people in an apartment clubhouse to where we are today, but God said, I'm not done with you, church. I'm not done. And God's calling us to take a step forward with him, a next step for his glory. And so I love this because things that are alive grow, right? Things that are alive grow. Things that aren't alive, that are dead, they don't grow, right? So we ought to always be moving forward. We ought to always be pursuing the Lord and saying, God, what's next? How do you want to use me next? I'm your servant. And so in this series, we're looking at this guy in the Old Testament, a guy named Nehemiah. And his story is incredible. 
Right? I mean, this has been awesome to see. I mean, here's this guy who's successful, had all these things that the world would say, oh, you're a success. You're done. Just kick it back. Live in the palace. But he, he saw what God was doing and his heart was broke. And he said, God, I want to be a part of that. I don't want to miss it, God. And he stepped out. <laughs> God used him to impact the world. Just like what God wants to do through each of us. So if you have a Bible with you today, I invite you up with me to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles in the back. If you want to grab a Bible, man, I'd just love for you to grab one. Or if you're online, you want to go to the Rolling Hills app or the Church Center app, we have the scriptures right there for you. But Nehemiah chapter 3. Now, let me just kind of recap real quick. Nehemiah 1 and 2. Nehemiah, like I said, he was the cupbearer to the king. He was successful. He was there in the Persian Empire. He's writing Nehemiah 1, autobiographical. He's writing his own story. He's saying, I was in the palace of Susa. I was in the summer palace, right, on the Persian Gulf, kicking back, doing what I was, my job. He was the cupbearer, which meant he was kind of the most trusted person in the kingdom. He was like the head bodyguard because he's tasting the cup before he goes to the king. He is like, we know from antiquities that he was also kind of the ambassador. He would meet with other kings of other nations. He was the one who knew multiple languages. He was strong. And it also tells us he was handsome. So this guy's like living the dream, right? And then his brother comes back from Jerusalem, 800 miles away, and says, Jerusalem is in disrepair. It's in disgrace. The walls are broken down. It's terrible. You know, and, and he's like, oh no. Right? His heart just goes out. He's like, God, what do you want me to do? He's 800 miles away. He could have easily said, who cares? But no, God broke his heart. Why? Because Jerusalem to the Jews is like the church is for Christians. Right? Jerusalem is where the very presence of God dwelt. Jerusalem is where God would meet with his people. Jerusalem where the temple was rebuilt, right? I mean, it was there. And so he says, what do you want me to do, God? And for four months, he prayed and he planned. He prayed and he planned. So I hope and pray in this series that you're growing in your prayer life, right? Last week, we talked about what's your plan? How are you going to grow spiritually? I hope that's part of that. He goes to the king and he says to the king of Persia, the most powerful man in the world at that time, right? He says, hey, listen, I want to go back and rebuild the walls. And not only did the king say yes, the king gave him papers to travel there. The king gave him timber to rebuild it and even build his own house. I mean, God just did a miracle there. And so Nehemiah goes and we left off last week with Nehemiah calling everybody who was living there in Jerusalem and saying, hey guys, come together, come together, come together. Hey, listen, listen, listen. God's called us to rebuild the walls. And it says, so they started this good work. They started this good work. So let's pick up in Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3. Now remember, the walls have been torn down for over 70 years. Nobody did anything for 70 years. Finally, right, the people rallied together. It says in chapter 3, Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work, and they rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hadanasha. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts in place. Skip down to verse 5. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. But 
Their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Come on, guys. You know, it's like the nobles. They're, out, they're like, ah, oh, we're kind of here, but we're not really going to be all fully invested, okay? We're just going to be here, but we're not going to put our shoulders to the work. Look at verse 8. Uziel, son of Haraniah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Verse 12. Shalom, son of Halawish, the ruler of the half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. Okay, so now we got the whole family involved, right? We got all these men and women and children. The valley gate was repaired by Hanun with the residents of Zenoah. They rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. They also repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. The dung gate was repaired by Malkajai, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim. He rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and their bars in place. Okay, so if they call on you to read at community group this week, just kind of go, okay, uh, you know, like a, a lot of big names there, a lot of words there, right? Just go, oh, Big H, he built that, you know? Just kind of come up with that. But here's the thing. What we're seeing is 10 different gates, 40 different sections, 39 different people, 42 people groups, all coming together, all working together side by side, next, 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 next to one another. I just want to show you a map of Jerusalem, right? And here it is, as back in Nehemiah's day, as they're rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. They started up here at the Sheep Gate, right? You come down, and they're rebuilding the Sheep Gates up there by the temple, Mount Moriah. You've got the Kidron Valley, so they're building the gate down here. You've got at the bottom the Dung Gate right there. The Dung Gate, you've got the Pool of Siloam, and so they're rebuilding around here. And these walls are still there today. Now, they've been destroyed, right? 70 AD by the Romans that came in. But they are rebuilt on this same path that the people were doing back here in 445 BC. What they were doing mattered. What they were doing mattered. And they were working hard to be a part of it. It says, skip down to verse 28. Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. So now they go out and they go, okay, well, see, the houses would back up to the wall. They were like, let's take over our own house. Let's start working right here in our house. And so they made repairs there at the house. Well, next to them, look how many times it says next. Next to them, Zadok, son of Immer, made repairs opposite his house. So now he works on his own house, and then he goes across the street. How can I help my neighbor? How can I help them? Next to him, Shemaiah, son of Shechani, the guard at the east gate, made repairs. Next to him, Hananiah, son of Shelei, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalph, repaired another section. Next to them, Melshalom, son of Baraka, made repairs opposite his living quarters. Next to him, Malkajai, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants opposite the inspection gate and as far as the room above the corner and between the room above the corner and the sheep gate. Remember, they've come all the way back around now the sheep gate. The goldsmiths and the merchants made repairs. How incredible. The wall set down for 70 years. How incredible that the people finally go, okay, let's 
do this. Let's make a difference. Let's rebuild the walls. Let's return the integrity of the character back here to Jerusalem. Let's do something great together for the glory of our great God. And they did. And we still see the impact today. You know, Jerusalem is the most important city in the world, right? I mean, it is. Uh, We all probably saw this past weekend as Israel's under attack. Uh, The war has come there. I was texting with my friend Yoni, who's our guide who we go to Israel with often. And uh, Yoni was just telling me about what's happening there on the ground. He's like, Jeff, it was a total surprise attack. We had no clue. It was a day, you know, a religious holiday for us and, and terrorism. I mean, 900 to 1,000 people kind of invaded in different places. He has two kids that are in the military there. But ultimately, they want to go to Jerusalem. I mean, that is the place. That's where everybody heads. That's where Armageddon is going to happen. I mean, it's there. And, and what these people were doing, right, repairing the wall, it was so important, and it's still important today. And for us, we got to say, listen, we can sit back or we can get involved. We can make a, a difference. And for the Jews, Jerusalem, right, for Christians, the church, but for all of us, it's important for what we do, and it matters. What you do matters for the glory of God. All right, if you're taking notes today, here's some things I'd love for you to write down. I'd love for you just to make some notes today. If you're Online, if you want to pull out the Rolling Hills app, there's a place that you can take some notes on the Church Center app right there. But what I want you to see is this, the importance of community. The importance of community, right? We can't miss that. Elishib, so you got the high priest. He didn't just kick back and go, well, I'm the high priest. I don't need to be involved. Oh, no, he's out there. And his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place. The men of Jericho... Right? So now you got this whole group, all their brothers, all their friends, all their guys. They're like, hey, let's go. And they built the adjoining section. And Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. All of these people are involved. See, Nehemiah did not try to rebuild it, the walls by himself. He couldn't do it. Right? He couldn't do it on his own. He needed community. He knew that. Great leaders, you know that, right? You're the spiritual leader of your home. You know you can't do it all by yourself, right? That's why you need church. That's why you need people helping you raise your kids, helping you decide your kids. You, we are created to grow alone. We are created for other people to be with us. The fact is this, God created you for community. God created you for community. I mean, that's the way you were made. Why? Because God is a relational God. <laughs> the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, right? Father, God, Jesus, the Son, the Holy Spirit, who leads and guides us. And he says, let us make man in our own image. So we are created for community. It's how we work. It's how we flourish when we're in community. Now, the fact is this. You are not created to go through life alone. But so many people do. So many people try that. And it's heartbreaking, but that's what happens. About a year ago, the U.S. Surgeon General came out and said, we are in the middle of another pandemic, and it's a pandemic of loneliness, a pandemic of loneliness in the United States, that people are feeling more isolated today than ever before. And we've got work from home, right, you know, and then you've got shop from home, and next thing you know, it's just like everything's from home, and, and you look up, and you're just kind of like, where did everybody go? And the U.S. Surgeon General made this comparison. He said the health implications of loneliness are like a person smoking 15 cigarettes a day. 
That is incredible. When I read that, I was like, what? But he's saying, look, it's your physical health. It's your mental health. It's your emotional health. You think God knew that? Yeah, you think that's why God created church? You think that's why God created community? You think that's why God put us together? We need each other. The church, we need the church. The church does more, right? And just our spiritual health. It's our emotional health, our mental health. It's our relational health. I mean, it is so important. You are not created to go through life alone. So they worked next to each other. They were next to each other. I love this, man. They were just all in this together. When I see this unfolding right here, you know, and, and then building, I think back to, you know, the early days in the United States where you would have barn racings. You know, everybody would come together, right? And the neighbors, all the neighbors coming in. But you know what? The first buildings that people would build when, you know, people, the settlers are moving east in the United States, they would go to these towns and settle these towns. What's the first building they would build? Church. The whole community is coming out, right? Everybody working with their hands. You're working in the fields, and then you go out and build a church. Why? Because they wanted that as the first building, because they knew we need Jesus. We need Jesus in our community. We need hope. We need help. We need community right here. And so the whole town comes together. Build a church. The second thing, build a school. Build a church, build a school, right? Because they were talking about the next, right? Next, you know, whatever it is for their community, next generation. How do I pour into that? We want to be a part of that. And see, the church is so vital, so essential to the fabric of our entire country, the fabric of the entire world. And that's what God was establishing in his church. But the church is not just a holy huddle, right? We don't just turn in on ourselves and go, okay, we've got this great thing, it's us. No, the church becomes the hands and feet of Christ. The church takes care of people. The church ministers to people. The church goes across the street and repairs the neighbor's house, right? That's what the church does. A couple of years ago, I know a lot of people are on fall break and maybe you're at the beach, you're watching this, but a couple of years ago down in Panama City and I saw this and just captured my attention. But there was a riptide that happened and this mom and this daughter were out in the ocean and the daughter is getting swept away. And the mom starts going after her daughter and she gets caught in the riptide as well. And they're like being pulled out. They're drowning. But what was amazing was the entire beach responded. Everybody on the beach, they don't know each other. But they all came together and they made this human chain. They started locking arms together and holding hands together and reached out and literally saved this mom and this daughter. Literally, the people on the beach, all together, next to one another, pulled this mom and daughter in. And the police were there. They were able to revive her. And both the mom and the daughter lived. And I just thought, that's the church. That's the church. That's us locking arms with one another. That's us serving together. That's us making a difference together. The rescue, the perishing, the care for the dying. That's the body of Christ. Wow. Okay, look at this. Everyone has a place in God's work. Everyone has a place in God's work. Man, I, I love this. Look at this. Uziel, the son of Haraniah, one of the goldsmiths. This guy's a goldsmith. He's not a bricklayer. He's not a contractor. He had no, he's a goldsmith, but he repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, he's a perfume maker, right? What does he know about building? He's a perfume maker. He made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Shalom, the son of Halawish, ruler of the half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. I love this dad. 
I'm a dad of three daughters, so I'm like, way to go, girls. Like, you know, let's go. And they're just out there, like, serving. They're, they're working, you know. I love that. I have two high school daughters. They come to the 8 o'clock service, and they're back working with children at 9.30 and preschool 11. So they've got your kids. But, I mean, I just, I love that. But it's everybody working together. It's men. It's women. It's children, right? See, God's call comes to the whole community. And there's a lot of people who go, well, you know, I'm not a pastor, right? You don't have to be a pastor, right? I'm not a worship leader. I'm not a singer. You know, I'm not good at that. You don't have to be. There's goldsmiths. There's perfume makers, right? Everybody has a gift and has a talent. And when we all come in and just go, okay, God, use me. God, use me. You've got a gift. You've got an ability. You've got an opportunity. See, when it comes to the church, it's not the 80-20 rule, or it's not supposed to be, Right? It's supposed to be 100% participation. That's the goal. We have a lot of organizations that you look at, and it's the 80-20 rule, right? 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. 80% of the money is given by 20% of the people. And you kind of look at that, and you're like, oh, yeah, the 80-20 rule, right? But then you look at the church, and it's supposed to be 100%. It, it, it's supposed to be everybody. That's the way God established it. Isn't that beautiful? You know, and so we all have a different gifts or different talents, different abilities, different resources, different opportunities. But it takes all of us together. All of us together. And that's the beauty. That's the fabric. That's what God is weaving. That's what God is making. I love that. I read a stat the other day that 51% of people in the United States would, would say that they're Christ followers, that they're Christians, still the majority, right? It's close. But 51% would say, you know, that, that the church is important and that they go to church. And I was just thinking, wow, 51%. Just think of every one of those people served. Just think of every one of those people prayed. Just think of every one of those people tithed. Just, just think of every one of those people invited somebody to church or led somebody to Christ. If 51% of people led one person or invited one person, I'm a math major, but that's everybody, right? I mean, everybody, right? You reach the entire country. You change the entire country. You change the entire world. I mean, that's the opportunity that we have together. I love what it says in the New Testament. Just as a body, the one... One body has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. The church is the body of Christ. There's many parts, all kinds of parts, right? You can read in 1 Corinthians 12, you can read the whole thing, but it's, it's powerful. But it's like the foot doesn't say to the hand, I don't need you, right? Or the eye doesn't say to the ear, I don't need you. Every part is essential, but we are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And for us, every person is important. Look at this one. All work, all work is important in building God's church. All work is important in building God's church. The dung gate was repaired by Malkajai, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim. He rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and their bars in place. Malkajai. Good job, buddy. See, God invites us to join with him in his work. God doesn't need us. I mean, think about that. He's God, okay? He's God, we're not. He's sovereign over the entire world. He created the entire universe. He put all the stars in place. I mean, he is God, but he invites us. Why? Because this is where we grow. This is how you flourish. This is how you come to life. This is spiritual growth. God knows that. When we get involved, when we serve, when we pray, when we grow, we grow spiritually, right? When we take those next steps. 
And God knows that's why Jesus called 12 disciples. He called community. It wasn't just one-on-one. It was like, hey, we're going to have small group together because he knew that. God invites us to be a part of this work. Some people even repaired the dung gate. And you know what the dung gate was for? Exactly, the dung gate, right? I mean, like, that's exactly what it was for, right? It was at the bottom of the entire city, Mount Zion, you know, Jerusalem, built on this hill, so all the refuse would run off out of the dung gate. So I'm sure when Nehemiah is going around going, okay, who's going to get the sheep gate? Hey, we'll do the sheep gate, right? All right, who's got the inspection gate? We'll do that one. How about the dung gate? <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, and this guy, Malkajah, is like, hey, we'll take it. What do you mean? Yeah, you, you, I'll take it. I got all my friends. We're going to do it. And everybody's like, what? Yeah, yeah, come on, man. Come on. We need you, right? Come on. And I love that it says that he put the bars in place and the bolts in place. It wasn't like he did a half job, right? It wasn't like, okay, I'm just going to make a little opening here because it's really stinky, really smelly right here. I'm getting in, getting out, right? No, he just like did it great. He like put everything in place. But some people repaired the dung gate. You know, if you look at the New Testament, when Jesus was teaching one time, two of his disciples, their mom came up to Jesus. Right? I love this. His mom comes up, the mom of, of James and John, and, and she says, uh, Jesus, I know you got these 12 disciples, and the other 10 are okay, but my two boys, whoo, they're amazing. I mean, like, they're better than everybody. So when you come into your kingdom, can you have one on your right and one on your left? Jesus is like, What? And the other 10 are going, what? You know, like, what do we, chop liver over here? You know, no, 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 no. And Jesus makes this incredible statement. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, these nobles who wouldn't even put their shoulder to the work, Jesus is like, no, I'm here to serve. I'm here to make a difference, right? I'm even here to give my life as a ransom for many. Whoa. That's different. I remember when we first moved into this warehouse and we had been meeting in a movie theater and God did a miracle and provided this place for us. And, and we, were, we were poor, man. We had nothing, right? We move over here and we're all these young adults and all these kids and, and we get here and we didn't even have, we're like, what do we do about trash? We didn't know. And there was a family in our church in Ben and Charlotte Majette. And I mean, they're still here. They still serve in all kinds of places. And there are three kids and they came up and they said, Hey, uh, Pastor Jeff, we'll take care of the trash every Sunday. I was like, what? I was like, no, we've divided the staff. Each day we have a day we're going to take the trash. And they go, well, every Sunday after church, we're just going to go in and we'll clear out the trash because we know there's stinky diapers back there. And after a week, it's probably going to get really bad, right? So we're just going to take care of food. And, and so they did for three years. Every Sunday after church, it would take them about an hour, but with their three kids, they would pick up the trash, and they're the most serving people, and they did that, and they would take it out to the dumpster, and I've never forgotten that, and I just thought, wow, because it just takes everybody, but they found a role, they found a need, they found a niche, and they just said, hey, we can do this, we can make a difference. See, here's the fact, as you grow spiritually, you grow in humility, there's this whole misnomer, right, that as you grow spiritually, you become arrogant or prideful. Like, I know more about the Bible than you do, right? That, that's, that's Pharisees in Jesus' harshest words. We're like, hey, guys, no, 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 no. But as you grow spiritually, you begin to say, how can I serve? How can I help? What can I do for my spouse? What can I do for my kids? What can I do for my roommates? What can I do for the people across the street? 
What can I do for people at church? What can I do for my community? That's a part of spiritual growth. And we don't get there overnight. None of us are perfect. There's times when you need to relax and sit back. But there's also these times that you start to think about others. How do I do that? See, what a joy and an honor it is to be used by God. (laughs) I mean, what a joy and honor. Wow, to know that God doesn't need me, but that God allows me to be a part of that. That God allows me into these holy moments. That God allows me to mentor and disciple and to encourage. Thank you, Jesus. No greater joy. There's a guy in our church, and I just love this guy. And uh, he's older, and he still works with students. He's like, no, I feel called to work with students. And we call him Papa Jay. But I want you to watch a little bit of his story. Check it out. God's pointing at each one of us, and he's saying, I want you to serve. You know, it doesn't take a special skill. Don't be afraid. You know, there's nothing to be afraid of. I have yet to have even little kids. No one's bit me yet. So <laughs> you, won't get, you, you won't get bit doing this, I hope. I won't, can't promise that. But, you know, it's one of those things, if you do, suffering for Jesus, take it and go. My oldest son gave me a t-shirt that says, my name is Papa because I'm way too cool to be called grandfather. And the freshman year with my guys at camp, we had a a young intern who was 20. And they said, man, we got to have a different name. You can't just be Mr. J and Evan. Why don't we call him dad and we'll call Mr. J granddad. Well, one of the kids said, wait a minute. He's got that shirt that says, my name is Papa. I'm way too be cool called grandfather. So why don't we just call him rather than Mr. J? Why don't we go to Papa J? So that's where that came from. Why at almost 70 am I still doing this? Man, what a question. Just because we turn 65 or 70 or 80 doesn't mean you can't serve anymore. The call to serve doesn't have a retirement date built in. I didn't see Jesus say, go and make disciples until you turn 65 and then you can go play golf. You know, we're, we're called to serve and I don't think it ends. And it doesn't require a gift of teaching or hospitality or, you know, all the spiritual gifts that are out there. You know, it, it's, it's called availability. But you know, it's not hard to stand at the door and say hello, open the door for somebody. My desire is to bring people in that will love to, that love being at our church. We are very fortunate to have phenomenal Bible teachers that can share and teach God's Word to us. We have phenomenal worship. You know, I want to see that continue. But the future is those people behind us. It's those kids in the pre-K program. If we don't pour them our lives into those people, there is no future for our church. They are the future, and that's where the focus needs to be. I got on Connect Camp's Instagram page, and they had a banquet at the end of the summer. 500, I think, four young people gave their life to Christ through Connect Camp's this summer. 46 of those were here at Rolling Hills. You want a reason why you should serve? Come be a part of that. Come share the gospel. I mean, there's nothing like sitting with a young man or a young woman who says, yes, I would like to learn what it means to ask Christ to come into my life. It will change your life forever. Isn't that awesome? Let's just give it a hand. 
tear up every time. I've seen it three times. It's just like, it's so powerful to me, you know? And, and I think that. I mean, don't disqualify yourself, man. God can use you, you know? And don't go say at a certain point, I'm done. You're not. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. God wants to do great things through you. Trust him. Trust him. Hey, here's the last one, right? Let's give our best for the glory of God. Let's give our best for the glory of God. You know what I love is you're digging through Nehemiah 3. I, I love this guy right here, Baruch. Next to him, Baruch, son of Zabbai, zealously repaired another section. This is the only time we get this word right here stuck in, right? And there was something different about the way he worked. He was just zealous for it. I think everybody was doing a great job, but this guy, Baruch, man, he was going after it. See, God wants us to serve him with spiritual zeal. With spiritual zeal. He wants us excited about it. You know, I mean, he wants us passionate about the call that God's given us. I love this in Romans. It tells us, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Are you excited today, as excited as you were when you first accepted Christ? Are you as passionate today as you were when you first gave your life to Jesus? You remember when you first gave your life, you couldn't wait. You wanted everybody to know, right? You were like, hey, whatever it is, just put me in, coach. You know, I'm like, you were just coming in, praying as you walked in. You know, you couldn't wait. You saw some trash and picking it up. You're like, I, I just want to make sure the house of the Lord is ready, you know? And sometimes over time, we can be like, okay, what's next? You know, and you start thinking about, okay, I got all these distractions in my life. But man, when you keep that same passion and that same fervor, man, the joy of the Lord becomes your strength. The joy of the Lord becomes your strength. And see, for God's church to be at her best, it takes all of us giving our best. Right? It takes all of us giving our best. Sometimes we'll go to work and we'll work so hard and then we're like, give God the leftovers. God's like, I just don't want your leftovers. I provide that job. I want you to do a great job. I want you to flourish in your job. But man, I want you to give your best for me. Well, what's this? You know, you're passionate about that and making a difference. The fact is this, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And the people back then, they knew, right? Man, we got to build this wall. And man, if there's a weak link in the wall, guess what? That's where the enemy's coming in, right? That's where the enemy's coming in because there's a weak link right there. And not only would it come in and impact their own home, it's going to impact everybody else too. And so, and so when you think about that, that, that you have a call, that you have a purpose, and when you use that, man, we want to do it for the best of our ability and the glory of God, See, we are a chain in the generations of Christianity. You know, where we are. And I want you to just think about the people who poured into you. <laughs> think about the people who took the time. Think about the Papa Jays in your life, you know. And maybe it was your parents who took you to church. You didn't want to go. You're like, oh, I'm in middle school. I don't want to go. And their parents are like, no, we're going, you know. And you went. And now you're like, oh, thank you for fighting that battle. That was a good one, you know. And I'm walking with the Lord. Praise God, you know. And, or maybe, maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a coach who had a Bible study for you. Maybe, maybe it was your parents' friends who prayed for you and they encouraged you. You went to them for counseling whenever you had a problem. And they were just there for you. And maybe it was people who... You didn't even know. They built the church, though. And man, that was a place where you were dedicated, a place where you were baptized. Well, here's the deal. It's us now. It's our turn. It's our time. And the generations have come to us. 
And it'd be easy, right, to sit back and just go kind of like, man, I got it made. I can just kind of sit back and I've got all these things that are happening. Who has time for church, you know? But, but man, we got to be the people who step up and step out. It's like Papa Jay was saying, it's the people who are coming behind us who are watching us. And for us to say, God, you've entrusted this time in history to us. Oh, God, find us faithful. God, find us faithful. See, it's not equal gifts. We all have different amount of gifts. We all have different talents. We all have different abilities. We all have different amounts of time, right? There's different seasons of life. We all have different amount of resources. It's not equal gifts. It's 100% participation, not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. But we sacrifice together. Just like these people, man. Back in their day, the sacrifice they made that, that we continue to see today. You know, you read in science, it tells you about the butterfly effect, right? If a butterfly flaps its wings in the Amazon jungle, it doesn't really seem like it's that significant. But thousands and thousands and thousands of butterflies flapping their wings in the Amazon jungle, scientists will tell you, impacts the weather pattern over Europe and Asia. Wind, rain, all of that is impacted Something that seems so insignificant, it's not. Why? Because you see the interconnectedness of the world. And it's the same thing true with you. It's the same thing true with me. The things that we may think are insignificant, the prayers that we pray or talking with our kids about Jesus or or inviting somebody to church or, or serving on a Sunday or an online Bible study or All the opportunities that we have to further God's kingdom, they're not insignificant at all. In fact, when we do it together, it begins to build and to build and reverberate throughout history, throughout generations. We're the church, the body of Christ. And God has called each of us for a time such as this. Will he find us faithful? Will he find us faithful? I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a minute. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what's going on in your life today. But I want to tell you, you saying yes to God matters. You saying yes to him in your heart, in your life, in your time, your talents, your resources, it matters. It matters. So, Father God, here we are, your disciples today. And I know some people right now, God, you're calling them to take a next step. Maybe it's salvation, giving fully their life to you. Maybe today there's people here, God, who are just lonely and they're tired. Today, Father, I pray you would awaken their heart, awaken their soul, their spirit to new life in you. I pray today for purpose and for calling. I pray today, Father, that we would take a step even in our own house (laughs) and rebuild, Father, a fabric of trust and of love and of grace to disciple those, God, that you've put around us. I pray today as a church, God, that we would take a next step, that we would follow you, Father, that we would make a difference, that we would lock arms together to rescue the perishing, to care for the dying. Father, use us. Just as you used people back then, God, use us today to build your church. Oh, God, find us faithful. Here we are, your people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We respond back to you right now. Amen, amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.